Let's take our Bibles, if you would please, and open them to Revelation chapter 5. And this evening I've chosen another passage from the book of Revelation to use as a text for a Christmas message. Uh, This morning we were looking at Revelation chapter 21 and the promise that God makes there to make all things new. And we were looking at the great transformation that's happened to the world since Christ was born. And this evening I'd like for us to look into Revelation chapter 5. Uh, This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But it begins on a very solemn note, uh, one that really tears at your heart, and then it ends on a glorious, triumphant, swelling volume of praise as Christ receives all glory and honor that's due to him. So we're looking at this text in Revelation chapter 5. This will be a Christmas text for this evening, although Christmas is not the only thing I want to talk about tonight. So if you'd stand with me, please. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, we'll start with the first four verses. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be in your house tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful text that we read. And we just pray, Lord, you might use it as we uh, discuss your word tonight. And I just pray you have a blessing here for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Several months ago, I hope you remembered that we studied chapter 5 in Revelation And if you do remember, we were talking about this plan that God has for the redemption of the world. The plan is contained on a scroll that's sealed with seven seals. And each of those seals has to be broken in order to reveal the several parts of God's plan. And as each one of those is peeled away, God's final plan for redemption of the earth is put into place. Well, the Apostle John was allowed to see this, and what follows in the book of Revelation is the narrative as each of those seals is unbroken and then God, uh, are broken open, and then God reveals to us the parts of his plan to redeem the earth. But there's a problem that we notice that's in the first part of this chapter, and that is that the scroll cannot be opened by just anyone. The person who opens this scroll has to have the ability to put this plan of God into effect. Now, John doesn't yet know all of the details that are written on this scroll because it hasn't yet been opened, but he does know that it is of great significance. He does know that on it is the plan of redemption, and unless someone is able to open the scroll, then all is lost. There's no hope for the world. There's no hope for deliverance. Uh, Without redemption, the whole world is going to suffer uh, for the curse of sin with no recovery. Now, we need to understand that when John is writing this, that... It's written from a first century perspective. And sometimes I think we lose that. We may think that what the reason that God has included this in the Word is that, first of all, that we might know something about the future and we might have an idea about all the events that are going to occur. But when John was writing this, he was writing for a very real purpose to the people that he was living among at that time. First of all, it is a first century revelation. John was living um, among oppressed Christians. Christians. He he lived in a government that was hostile to the message of the gospel. He lived in a time when persecution was great, 
And John had personally experienced that, that persecution. He's given this vision while exiled on a barren island. And John may have been, what many scholars believe, was the victim of a horrible act of tyranny, that he was slated for execution and that he was boiled alive in oil. But John survived that, and so he was banished to this barren island called the island of Patmos. Now perhaps disfigured and even in pain, he wonders when all of this will end and how will all of it end? And is there a message of hope that he can actually give to God's people? And I'm sure that you can imagine how that John struggled with the the people and the doubts that they had about their Christianity. In chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, there we find that uh, we have mostly a bleak picture because the condition of the church was so bad at that time. And God has threatened retribution against the church. And he says, unless there's some repentance that goes on, they were in danger of losing their status as Lord, uh, the Lord's churches. And so we come then to chapter 5, and John sees God the Father on the throne, and he has redemption scroll in his hand. The scroll must be opened in order for hope to be restored. And so there's a call that goes out from one of God's mighty angels. Who is worthy to open this book? Who can break the seals and then put God's plan into effect? Now the scripture says in verse number 3 that there's a search that begins. And there's no one, as it says here, no man in heaven that can redeem. And you notice there that the word man is italicized. It means, uh, of course, in your King James Version, that that word has been supplied in the text. And what it actually means is that there is no creature in heaven, principally referring to the angels. And so there are no angels in heaven that can redeem. And then a search takes place upon the earth, and there is found no man that can redeem. And, of course, man can't redeem because a man could not even pay for his own sins, much less the sins of anyone else. And then a search under the earth takes place, and that means the netherworld. And of course, also we couldn't find anyone in hell who could possibly be qualified to redeem. And so after this search is made, John is in despair, and he begins to weep because no one is found worthy to open the book. But John need not weep because there was one who was worthy. The search is not fruitless because God most certainly does intend to have a redeemer. Now, if you'll notice verse number 5, it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So weep not, John, this is the message. Weep not for one is worthy, and weep not for that worthy one, because he will open the book. Now, if there's nothing else that you get from the text that we read tonight, I hope that you do get this, that Jesus Christ is worthy. And he's the only one who is worthy, because he is the Redeemer and Lord. Now, this evening, I want to share with you the main theme of the message. And the theme is that Christ is worthy of our searching. He is the end of the search, and Christ is always the one who's worth searching for. And there's much that we can say about the worth of Jesus. Uh, John wrote in his gospel that if it were possible that he could write down all the things that Jesus said and did, all those wonderful works that he had, he said that the, the world couldn't contain all of the books that could be written. Well, I, I certainly can't attempt to do what John couldn't do. And so I just want to give you just a few things tonight, just share some thoughts with you about searching for the one who is worthy. 
Now, this chapter begins with the search for Jesus, but it's by no means the only time in Scripture that we find that there were people who searched for him. Now, interestingly, if you wanted to make a note in your Bible of this, this is the last time in the Bible that anybody ever searched for Jesus. And I don't mean that Jesus was hiding somewhere and he was over in the corner of heaven and trying to keep anybody from finding him because he was very reluctant to become the Redeemer. Now, this was something that was determined before the world was ever created. As we've studied in the last few weeks, uh, there was a covenant between God the Father and God the Son that Jesus would come and that he would give his life for our sins. And so before the world was ever created, before the first blade of grass was ever put into a field, God had already determined that Jesus would come. And so the search in chapter 5 is not a blind search. Uh, This is not a search hoping that somebody is finally going to show up and they'll swagger up to the throne and say, well, let me have a crack at that book and let me see if I can open it. Well, not at all. We're not to think of the search in that way. But there are times in the Bible when there was a search made for Jesus. And tonight I'm going to relate to you four instances of searches that are made for Jesus. Now, number one would have to be the search for the baby. And at Christmas time, uh, surely we would think of this, that there was a search for the baby. In Matthew's gospel and his account of the birth of Christ, he speaks of those wise men who came looking for Jesus. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the wise men came looking for Jesus and they asked the question, where is he? Now, have you ever thought that those are the first words spoken by humans in the New Testament? Where is he? In Matthew chapter 1, there was an angel that appeared to Joseph and this angel spoke and he spoke some wonderful words. He told Joseph that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And he said that this son that she's going to have uh, shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But those were words spoken by an angel. But these words, the very first words spoken by humans in the New Testament is this question, where is he? The wise men wanted to know where is he because they were searching for Jesus. And friend, there is no greater question than any person could ever ask. That que- is that question, where is he? Where is the one who can save us from our sins? So the first human sentence in the New Testament was a question. But do you know what the first question in the Bible was? Well, you have to go, Bob knows. Well, you have to go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And the one who asked this question was God himself. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, that was right after Adam had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam sinned, and so then God came looking for him, and he said, Where are you, Adam? And from that point in the New Testament, because of our sin, men began to ask, where is God? Where is God? Because there's a Savior who is needed. We're in our sin, so people began to ask, where are you, God? And as we come into the New Testament, here we find the wise men asking that very question, where is he? And you know that God answered that question unequivocally. He said, here I am. He said, I took on human flesh and I came into this world and I was born as a baby in Bethlehem of Judea. And so now man really does not have to ask that question, where is God? Because God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now, we noticed that this morning, that, in John, that John wrote in his gospel, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So when those wise men came looking for Jesus, it was worth all the time and the effort that they put into it. It was worth the hazards of that long journey. It was worth all the miles that were, that were traveled. It was worth all of that. And I promise you that when you find Jesus, it's going to be worth the search that you've made for him. If at all possible, lose everything else that you have to find everything in Jesus Christ. Now, that message is expressed in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus gave it to us in one of his parables. There he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That one pearl of great price so diligently sought by the merchant man is Christ. Now, there the merchant man represents the sinner, and the pearl is the Savior. And whatever cost, Christ is worthy. And so we're to seek him just as the wise men sought him because he is worthy. He's the only one who can redeem our soul. Well, we go a little bit further in the scriptures and we find another search for Jesus. And this is the search for the boy. There's nothing written in the scriptures about the childhood of Jesus from the time that the wise men found him in Bethlehem and as we've stated before, we think that that was probably when Jesus was about two years old. And so there was nothing said about Jesus all of his life until uh, his public ministry, all the way for about 28 years, nothing is said about Jesus and his life except for one incident that we find in the book of Luke, chapter 2. Now, if you'll turn over there for just a minute, we're going to read here for just a moment about the search for the boy. And this was when Jesus was 12 years old. His family had gone to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And if you look at Luke chapter 2 and verse number 40, we'll begin reading here. And it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? After the feast of Passover was finished, his family and the whole entourage that would have been traveling with them left Jerusalem on their way back to Nazareth. And as they were traveling, they'd gone about a day, and they discovered that Jesus wasn't with the group. And so they had to turn around and go back to Jerusalem and look for Jesus. And they found him not where most little boys would have been found. Now, I suppose, perhaps, that Mary and Joseph, the first place that they might have tried to look was maybe near the pool of Bethesda or the pool of Siloam, and they, maybe they would find Jesus there skipping rocks across the top of the water. 
Or maybe they would find him in the streets. And there they, he may have met some mischievous boys and he was playing with them. But Jesus wasn't found there. And so they kept looking for him and they went into the temple. And where they found him was there sitting in the middle of a group of doctors. There among the rabbis, the teachers of God's word. Men who are experts in the scriptures. And he was listening to them and he was asking them questions. Now we know that little boys like to ask questions. Would he be asking something like, well, why is the sky blue? Or what is that little thing hanging in the back of your throat? What's that all about? What's that for? Or why can't dogs talk? Things like that. But those weren't the kind of questions that Jesus was asking. Instead, there's no doubt by reading this that Jesus was discussing with them the deep implications of God's Word. And he was discussing with them the commandments, and he was talking to them about the prophets and all the teachings, and these men were simply amazed at the knowledge that Jesus had. And when they finished with Jesus, they were so amazed that this little boy knew so much about the Scriptures. If I had a child like that, I'd go looking for him too. Most of your children, I'd leave them lost for a little while and get a little peace and quiet. But Jesus was someone who was worth looking for. You know, I remember a few years ago that I preached a sermon on this. And uh, the main point of the sermon was that sometimes Jesus goes missing in our lives. And we don't even realize that he's gone. And the problem is, he didn't leave us, we left him. You see, one thing that you'll find out about Jesus is that Jesus never strays from the truth. And so if you're looking for Jesus, start looking for truth, and there's where you'll always find him. But we have this tendency in our lives that we want to wander away, and we get out of fellowship with him, and we lose the intimacy that we ought to have with him, and those are times that we need to repent. Now, repentance is not something that you do just one time in your life. I mean, you don't get saved. You do your repentance and faith at that time and then end it there. Repentance is something we have to do all throughout our lives because if we don't, we can find ourselves getting away from Jesus. And we, as I said, we don't, we don't, uh, he doesn't lose us, we lose him. And we just get out of fellowship with him. Now, I'm not talking about losing salvation because that can never happen. You can't lose your relationship with him. And just as Mary and Joseph couldn't lose their relationship that he was their son. But when he wasn't with them, when he's not in the company, that fellowship with him is missing. And many times that's what happens to us. And so we need to watch when we start to get away from Jesus just a little bit and we start to sin. We need to get on top of that immediately. We need to repent so that we don't lose his fellowship. And the fellowship of Jesus is where we find our blessing. So they search for him at his birth, and they search for him when he was a boy. And then another incident of searching for Jesus was an important one, and this is when they search for the body. Uh, Jesus lived his life here on the earth, and he got into his public ministry about the age of 30. And for three years when he was in that ministry, he was an itinerant preacher uh, traveling throughout Galilee and Jerusalem. And during that time, he gathered to himself 12 men, and he began to teach them about the principles of the kingdom. Those, of course, were the 12 men who would uh, be the, uh, the, the foundation along with him of the church, and they would be the ones who would teach people about these principles of Christ after he was gone. Well, after three years, that training period was over, and then Jesus was ready to do the main work that God had called him to do. 
And his main work, of course, was that he was going to die for his people. And so at that appointed time, Jesus got ready to go to Jerusalem, and there he was going to give himself as that sacrifice, an offering for our sins. But every time that Jesus began to talk about that, the disciples resisted it. They didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. They didn't want him to die because they didn't yet fully understand that though Jesus would die, he would arise from the grave. And so when Jesus was crucified, they became became very sorrowful about it and they wondered what's going to happen next and what's going to become of of, uh, this one that we have trusted in, what's going to become of what we've been taught in this religion that he's given us. What, What are we going to do about it? And so for three days they wondered about that And then on the third day, uh, some of the ladies went to the tomb, and there they were going to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. But when they got to the tomb, they found out that the the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and they peered inside, and they saw that the body was missing. And so they began to weep because it wasn't there. And then when Mary was standing outside of the tomb, looking for Jesus and wondering where his body was, Jesus appeared behind her. Here's what he said. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And so she was seeking for the body of Jesus, but instead she found the risen Lord. Now, I'm glad that the wise men went searching for the baby, and I'm glad that they found him. And I'm glad that when uh, Mary and Joseph turned back to Jerusalem searching for the boy, they did find him in the temple. But I am oh so much more glad that when they went looking for the body, that they didn't find it in the tomb. You see, if that body had been in the tomb, then Mary must weep for greater reasons than that the body might have been stolen. If that body had been in the tomb, then we need to weep with John. Weep with John and not with Mary, because if that body was there, it means that no one would ever be found worthy to open the scroll. No one would be able to redeem any part of the human race. But thank God for this. She went searching for Jesus, and she found him not dead, but alive. And so she found the one who was worthy. He had conquered death. And as Scripture says, because he lives, we shall live too. So thank God for Christmas. But as you do, you can skip ahead a little bit and you thank God for Easter. I mean, he had to be born to die, and he had to die to live again. And so he is truly the worthy one, and he's the one who's worth searching for because he alone is the one who can conquer death. And so if you don't know Jesus, I hope all of you do here, if you don't know him, you need to go searching for him. Don't wait until you die because it's too late. Death settles everything forever. And if you die without Jesus Christ, death is eternal. But when you die with him, life is eternal. Now that brings me to another search. And this is, of course, for ones who do know him. And this is the search for his brightness. This is the search for the glorified Christ. In Matthew chapter 17, the disciples got a small glimpse of Christ's glory. And the scripture says there, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now what the disciples were allowed to see was just a glimpse of Jesus when he's not veiled in his flesh. He is glorious in his appearing. 
God's glory is always associated with brightness. And as we talked about it this morning, about the tabernacle, when God dwelt with men that very first time, God's glory was seen in a brilliant, shining light. Now we call that the Shekinah glory, that light that was shining in the tabernacle. John said in 1 John 1, 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, Which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach into, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. It was the Apostle Paul who was retelling the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. And he was speaking to King Agrippa and telling him about that that great event that had happened to him. And in Acts, we read this. He's telling Agrippa, he says, At midday, O king, I saw the light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Now that light that was shining above the brightness of the sun was the risen Christ. And Paul couldn't stand in that light. Instead, he fell to the earth and he bowed down before it. And that's because there is no person who can ever stand in the presence of the glory of God. And yet the scriptures tell us that we are to look for the coming of Christ. And when he comes, it will be in a brilliant light. Jesus said in Mark thirteen thirty three, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. He said, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. So what happens when Jesus comes? He comes with brightness. In Second Thessalonians, Paul speaks of this. He's talking about Christ's coming, and in this particular place, he, he's talking about it in relation to the destruction of the Antichrist. So actually, this is really the second phase of Christ's coming when he comes to this earth. And Paul writes in that second chapter of Second Thessalonians, And then shall that wicked be revealed, that's the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now here is a search that we simply do not want to give up on. There's no need for anyone to be in despair. There's no need for us to be deeply troubled. And that's because there is one who is worthy to open the book. And when he comes again, he's going to set in motion all of these things that must take place to purge the world of the curse. He'll subdue all of his enemies. He'll put them beneath his feet. Our adversary, the devil, uh, that old dragon, as the book of Revelation calls him, is going to be cast down forever. And then we are going to enter into the light of the glorious presence of our eternal God. Now, John stood in the presence of God, standing there, and he began to weep because he didn't yet know who would come and open that book that was in the Father's hand. Now, what John needed to do was to bring hope to the people that were around him. Uh, He had to bring hope to them that all is not lost. He has to tell them that although there is trouble and persecution is great, yet God is still on his throne. And God has made a promise, and God will always fulfill his promises. And so they can look for the brightness of his coming, because that's when God is going to put everything back on track. The God of this world has had his way too long, and so the, uh, the eternal God of the heavens is going to come, and he's going to remove that curse that's been placed upon this old world because of sin. Where is he? Well, there's coming a time when no one will ever ask that question again. Where is God? 
We'll know where he is because we're going to come face to face with the brightness of his glory. Friends, we need to be thankful for Christmas. We need to be thankful that God has made the heavens and the earth for his glory and for his alone. And we need to be thankful that God didn't forsake us. He had an eternal purpose in his mind. He he created this entire world with something in mind. And he sent Christ to the world to be born as a baby in Bethlehem and to be the Savior of the world. And so we see then that the text begins with sadness. It begins with weeping. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And John wept because there was no angel, there was no man, there was no creature that could redeem. But then, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the one who became incarnate, stepped forward and he took that book out of the Father's hand because he is the one who's worthy to redeem. We need not weep because all of heaven and earth are his. Well, now things are changed. There's no more sadness. The text began with weeping, but it ends with shouts of praise. Now, we go back to Revelation chapter 5, if you would, please. And let's look at this once again. Read just a little bit further. If we go down to verse number 11, it says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now the search for the baby, that was wonderful because Jesus would save his people from their sins. And the search for the boy, that's truly necessary because without having his fellowship, we're left alone. We lose fellowship with Jesus and of course we have problems and we need to be close to him. Then the search for the body, if that was found, we do have problems. But the body wasn't found, and instead uh, it was somewhere else. It wasn't where they thought, because Jesus was not dead, he was alive. And then the search for his brightness. We're still looking for that. We're still waiting for it. If you're a Christian, you ought to be longing that Christ should come back. So the wise men, they came searching for him, and they were looking for the brightness of his star. But today... We're looking for the brightness of his coming. We ought not to weep. We just ought to thank God for Christmas because Christ incarnate means that Christ loved you and he gave his life to redeem you. Now let me give you the last statement for this Christmas message. He left his Father to come to the earth that we might leave this earth to come to the Father. Now that is the whole goal of Jesus' work. That's why he came, that he might bring us to the Father. Charles Wesley wrote in the hymn that, I think it was the first one that we sang tonight, and hark the herald angels sing. One of those verses says, Come desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for 
him coming into the world to die for our sins. And Lord, we have a search for him that is always worth doing. And when we come to the end of that search, we've found the best possible thing that this world could ever offer. Heaven above offers all the glories of God, offers nothing better than the presence of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to contemplate what's happened because of Christmas. We have a Savior who's come into the world, and now we can have a personal relationship with our Father God. Bless as we sing tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.